Welcome to Radically Personal, where we explore the behind-the-scenes stories of today's most beloved brands, how they started, what their mission is, and how they're building enduring relationships with customers and showing them how they have their best interests at heart. I'm Joseph Oncinelli, CEO of Gladly, where we're on a mission to help companies reinvent customer service and deliver on the promise of radically personal customer experiences. On today's episode, I am joined by Christina Stemble the founder and CEO of Farm Girl Flowers. Christina and I talk about how she thinks about customer acquisition and its role and connection with customer experience. I kind of have this like golden rule in business. I've always had it since day one. It's the only thing that really hasn't changed at Farm Girl is, is, you know, my mission, my personal mission in starting a company was to create a company that I would want to buy from and I'd want to sell to and I'd want to work at. We also talk about some important decisions. First, why she decided not to outsource her CX team, and also why using a legacy ticket-based customer service platform prevented her team from building relationships with their customers. You can't have that experience when you're outsourcing it to a company that's charging you by ticket or by case, as we talked about too. Every time they say like, thank you, that's another ticket, you know, and stuff like that. You just can't have that experience. And finally, we talk about the importance of customer service and how prioritizing loyalty is the future of commerce. You know, we really rely on, on word of mouth and people do not take the time out of their busy schedules to go write glowing reviews about the product, but they do about service. It's almost 100% service related. This is Radically Personal. I am so excited to welcome Christina Stemble to Radically Personal. Welcome, Christina. Can't wait to talk to you. Christina is the founder and CEO of Farm Girl Flowers. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this all week. All right. Me too. This is so great. You have a ton of fans at Gladly. You've, you've got like, there's like the Farm Girl Flowers like fan group. We should probably have like a Slack channel. Everyone like loves the brand. So let's, Aww. let's start, let's start with your story. I mean, so for like, you know, obviously my first question is like, are you the farm girl? Like what's, tell us the story. Like, how did you start it? Like, let's hear your story. Yeah, um, it's funny because I think I get called farm girl as much as Christina, <laughs> you know, out and about, like out in the wild. People just say, oh, it's farm girl. Um, yes, I am farm girl. Uh, but the funny thing is, I actually, I mean, I grew up on a farm, corn and soybeans. But I like to say, you know, the real story, true story, my mom is the real farm girl. Like, you know, we had to pick up rocks in the fields occasionally and stuff, but she had to like work hard on the farm. So I can't take too much credit for that. But I did start Farm Girl. Um, the name was uh, kind of a nickname that a couple friends called me just uh-huh. because I wasn't like a city girl. Um, I moved to New York City when I graduated high school two weeks after that. And so a couple friends just started calling me Farm Girl. Um, so when I was looking for a URL that was open, which anybody <laughs> who's tried to start a company can probably relate to this, um, it just came to mind after like, you know, 432 other searches. Uh, what about Farm Girl? <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> so, that's awesome. That's how it stuck. And and so tell me about like how did you end up starting this? Like what what was the what was like why flowers? <laughs> yeah, I imagine that um you probably just didn't just want to know about the name. I like to be really intentional with this question because, you know, I think as a woman in the creative space, the story that usually gets told is kind of a romanticized version of it. Like, you know, oh, you're so lucky that you've been able to turn your hobby into a business and kind of, you know, especially the fashion side of things will want to like, you know, 
make it sound like paint this picture of like I was frolicking in my grandmother's garden or something <laughs> growing up. And I'm like, it wasn't that at all. Just like men, most men that start businesses, I wanted to start a business and I had no idea what industry. I didn't, you know, it wasn't a hobby to do flowers. I thought flowers were a waste of money. You know, I was trying to solve a problem though, which is is how I came about, you know, this idea. You know, when I would send my mom flowers in Indiana, I, you know, wasn't happy. I was dissatisfied with what was out there. I would have to use the the national companies. And I was always left very dissatisfied with the price I would pay, with the quality of the flowers that were delivered. I was always embarrassed by what was delivered. It looked like, you know, grocery store bouquet that I paid, you know, five to seven X what it would have cost in the grocery store. And I just thought, you know, as a young consumer back then, I was in my early 30s then, no longer a young consumer, <laughs> more the middle-aged consumer. There's <laughs> room for all of us, right? But I was like, there's got to be other people like me. And I started, you know, going down the rabbit hole of research like I would do because I was that dork with like an idea notebook that had like 4,000 ideas in it in every industry you could think of. And, you know, I would, you know, spend my weekends researching. I researched this industry pretty thoroughly and, you know, it was really kind of dumbfounded by what I found, you know, that, you know, yes, American, you know, young American consumers were not happy with what was out there, but it even stretched further than that. It was just, you know, there was like hashtags like flower fail and stuff. I mean, people are really dissatisfied. And, you know, I was pretty dismayed to find out that, you know, the e-commerce side was declining and no other industry I'd researched in 2010 was declining. And the latest innovation was in the mid nineties. So I was like, this should be growing by leaps and bounds. Like every, you know, even like you know, most of my, my ideas were in like fashion or beauty or, you know, things like that because that's where I shop, you know? And so, you know, all of those industries were just like growing like crazy and this one wasn't. And they also had tons of, you know, newcomers to the space where this one, the latest innovation was like the mid nineties. Now I know, you know, looking back like hindsight's, you know, 2020 where I'm like, oh, well, yeah, nobody was, you know, Everybody was wiser than me to know that perishable product was probably going to be not tough. easy. Yeah, I didn't know. I was like, sure, I could do this. You know, bring it on. You know, in your story of like actually how you started, you should. I mean, it was in first. It was like in your apartment. And like, you, there's some, you got kicked out or something. What, like what? Like what? Yeah. Yeah. The reason I started Farm World though was because out of all of those 4,000 ideas, it was the one that checked all the boxes. And the most important box was that it needed to be able to be bootstrapped because I, unlike most people don't have a pedigree. Uh, I didn't go to college. I just went to Bremen high school in Bremen, Indiana, population 3,600, two stoplights. You know, I had nothing beyond that. I didn't work at, you know, Facebook, Google, Apple, or, you know, any of the big tech companies. You know, I thought if I march down to Sand Hill Road right now and say like, hey, you know, I know you don't know me. I have no pedigree, but invest in me that people would laugh. Right. So I knew I would need to bootstrap it. Most of my ideas needed millions of dollars investment. This one, I was you know, like, I could start this from my dining room table, literally. And, you know, there's a flower market down the street. So that's what I did. I had forty nine thousand dollars in my bank account and I started it literally at my dining room table. Um, turn the dining room into a little flower shop, kind of flower warehouse, a hundred square foot feet of it. And did that for two years until my landlord, who was a corporate attorney, <laughs> turns out Craigslist starting, you know, in his, his garage, like garage, garage startups aren't actually legal. <laughs> so I got the pink slip on the door and had to move the company or myself out of the apartment. And in a rent control city like San Francisco, you do not want to have to move yourself out. So had two weeks to move the business out. And there that that's what we did. And that's what I did. So when you got started, there's a lot of really awesome things about your brand and your identity. 
And, you know, one of them is the, is the burlap sack. I don't know what to call it. I, I don't know if that's what you're referring right. to. It. That's what it is. Okay, cool. Okay, cool. And like, cause it, like for folks who've never purchased flowers from, from, from farm grow flowers, you should, first of all, they're awesome. But one of the things that's great about them is the packaging that come and they come wrapped, the flowers are wrapped in this burlap and it just makes it feel very farm girl like. Now, many people, when they're sort of thinking about the stuff that they, they, um, they're very intentional about like materials. But yours was actually a story of necessity, right? Like, how did that happen? Yeah, it was a little bit of both. You know, I I knew I didn't want to use plastic. And, mm-hmm. you know, everybody was using plastic. The most innovation I could find was like craft paper. I'm like, this is not innovative craft paper, you know? So I was like, how can I you know, do something better for the environment than put more plastic into, you know, the dumpsters? And, you know, and it just takes away from the whole brand experience. If I want to sell, you know, a higher quality product to consumers, I need a better way to package it. Um, I'm a woman that loves packaging. You know, I did research. Most women love packaging. 81% of consumers are women buying for women, which is shocking for most people in the floral industry. Is that right? Yeah. Everyone thinks because of Valentine's Day that it's like that year round. If you took Valentine's Day out of it, it'd probably be 90 to 95%. Um, Women buy flowers for other women because we know how it makes us feel to receive them. And so we want other women that are special to us to feel that same way, that same feeling of being loved. And so that's why women send flowers. They don't think that they're a waste of money. Most men think that flowers are a waste of money because they they die. They're perishable, right? So mm-hmm. you'd rather give something that's a higher perceived value. Um, and so that, you know, we lean into our consumer base for that reason. And packaging is very important. I also really looked at like Nike as an example of like, I wanted a way to brand our product. So if you know, social media, digital media was was on the rise back in 2010. It was just kind of at the, the beginning of it. But, you know, people were sharing pictures of everything on Facebook and Instagram. And I knew if there were going to be pictures out there, how would people know it was us? You know, how could I get our name out there in that way? And so I was like, I need a way that everyone's going to know immediately that's Farm Girl Flowers. And so I came up with 14 different ideas for packaging. I, you know, tried them all, everything from like, you know, going to Goodwills and getting denim and cutting it up and, you know, using that. And then I'm like, I got to wash a lot of pairs of jeans for this. <laughs> and, um, you know, things like that. I used, you know, chalkboard paper that I'd write the message in. I had all these, you know, ideas, dish towels, because then you could reuse them and it's not more, you know, something more for the landfill, but that was expensive. Um, and I came up with the idea for burlap thinking of the burlap sacks in the farm we would use. And I was thinking of potato sacks. And then I researched in California. I was like, there's no potato farmers in California. So I'm going to have to truck them in from Idaho probably. And then I thought, well, no, coffee. There's a lot of coffee roasters in the area. And so I reached out to a bunch of them. Uh, Ritual Roasters, female-owned in San Francisco, uh, was lovely and got back to us. The only one that got back to us and said yes. They would, In fact, they didn't even charge me. I offered to pay for them and they donated them to us. And so every Thursday I would go pick up their burlap and Load it oh, in the back awesome. of my SUV with 200,000 miles on it and take it, you know, to my two-story walk up on Van Ness Avenue in San Francisco and unload it and then cut it up into pieces. I could get four pieces, four bouquets out of each each bag. Quickly outgrew just one roaster and had to add more roasters and bigger roasters. And, you know, I've had to go through lots of times when they're like, well, now we have a different procedure and we're not allowed to donate them. Then we have to go find another one and things like that. But it's been very, we've also tried to to change it to something else because, you know, I'm kind of tired of burlap. It's been over 10 years uh, now, 11 but you, years. But you, but, you, but you can't. Yeah, I can't because people you, really like it. it. And they're like, where's yeah, the burlap? Yeah. You know, like <laughs> customer service is like, please don't do that to us. You know, you know, our team on Gladly, Gladly gets lots of <laughs> you know, messages from our wonderful customers saying like, we like this new thing you're doing, but please bring the burlap back when you're done. 
It's so interesting. You know, I think you've been, one of the things that I admire about what you've done is how intentional you've been about, and I'll use a phrase you just used about, about the feeling, the brand identity, right? Like, you know, the burlap, uh, you know, we were talking earlier about how in the early days you would have bike people, bike passengers deliver flowers and like, the, you know, like it, like it was a visual thing and it was a way to potential, I'm, I'm guessing also to actually drive awareness and, and acquisition. And how do you think about like acquisition today now that you're 10 years in and how, do, and how does that and how does that connect to customer experience and customer service? Yeah, acquisition is probably one of our biggest area, the biggest challenges right now. Um, it's funny that you know acquisition was much easier early on uh, than it is now, and you know getting in front of our customers and, and customers in general, re- whether it be new or return customers, is so expensive now. Uh, where before, in the good old days, now I'm old enough now, <laughs> we're old enough as a company to say that in the good old days, uh, you know. We had bike careers where now we don't because we aren't in a saturated area any longer. We don't have a warehouse in San Francisco that was shut down during COVID. And we can't do things like that that will drive awareness relatively cheaply you know, for us. I say that with workers' comp was really expensive for bike careers. So that was the biggest expense there. But for you know eight and a half years, nine years, we had bike careers, like you said, going all around the city with huge, huge baskets of flowers. Honestly, I didn't think about it from an acquisition standpoint. When I came up with the idea, it was how can we do this efficiently in a very saturated city with parking tickets everywhere? I was like, we're going to get so many parking tickets, double parking. And and then with Uber and Lyft and the the ride service companies, it's almost impossible to hire a driver, you know, under like 50 bucks an hour or something. And so that it was actually more cost effective to use bike couriers um, for a while until workers comp caught up with that as well. So, um, you know, it was, it was everything. This, this is a theme here, by the way. Yeah. I love it. Bending the rules along the yeah. way. We're starting the company in your apartment. Totally. It's, it's anyway, doing sorry. everything uh, as scrappy as possible. Scrappy is probably my middle name. Um, uh-huh. You know, and that's the farm upbringing in me. If I can do something for a quarter, why am I going to spend a dollar? You know, uh, so that's, that's how we do it. And, you know, burlap's like that. It costs us 86 cents per burlap. And that's like, the price to like rent the trucks to go pick it up now because they're giant trucks we have to pick it up in and to hire the people to cut it and things like that. So it's donated, but it's actually 86 cents a piece, but it's still far cheaper than those dish towels I was talking about. So everything's kind of been from a scrappy and, you know, kind of other missions as well, like trying to to make sure that we are doing our best in every area. Like, like to your point, intention is definitely a word that is um, at the forefront of, of everything that I do is with intention because I, I want to do what's right for the planet, what's right for our team, what's right for our customers, you know, and everything, you know, I want to, to send out a product that I would want to receive. And so I kind of have this like golden rule in business. I've always had it since day one. It's the only thing that really hasn't changed at Farm Girl is, is you know, my mission, my personal mission in starting a company was to create a company that I would want to buy from and I'd want to sell to and I'd want to work at. And so, you know, it doesn't take a fancy education to know when you're making a decision in business about, you know, should you offer full medical or paid vacation or 401ks with matching. I was stunned to find out how many companies don't have matching in 401ks, like big tech companies too, like big ones. I'm like, why would you not do that? Why would you have, you know, special snack Thursdays or free food for lunch and not have a matching 401k for your team? You know, so everything is, I wouldn't want to work at a company like that. So I don't do that for my team, you know, so... I don't think you need, you know, a uh, you know fancy board or pedigreed education to right. know that what the right thing is to do. Do the right thing. 
yeah, yeah, do the right thing. And and how does that connect to your your values around CX, customer experience and customer service? Like when you think about your philosophy around service, how, how do you connect all those things? Yeah, we've had lots of people come in to Farm Girl, um, manager customer service teams, uh, and just advisors that have looked at our numbers. And, you know, we almost did a couple, we tried raise capital many, many times and got very close a couple of times. And while those, you know, VC and P firms were looking at our books, you know, it was always an area of like, well, we could outsource this, you know, area and save a lot of money. And it's the one area of the company that I am, I'm dogmatic about not outsourcing. You know, I, shared with you, you know, when we talked earlier about this, you know, my dad worked in customer service. He worked in, you know, kind of parts department customer service for 40 years, 41 years at a company. And I got to hear from him all the things he liked and didn't like about it. (laughs) And that's how I structured our customer experience. You know, I want, you know, we used to share a construction trailer up until COVID, until we shut down our biggest big warehouse in San Francisco. We got shut down. I should say we didn't intentionally <laughs> shut it down, uh, but we had a 30,000 square foot uh, warehouse in San Francisco and our offices, because we're super fancy, <laughs> were a construction trailer. <laughs> and I shared the office, all of our you know management team, including myself, shared the office with our customer experience team. And so I got to hear all their conversations in this mm-hmm. you know double wide <laughs> that we had sitting in the middle of our warehouse. Uh, we called it the greenhouse because it was painted green. <laughs> you know? So in this big warehouse, you had like a double, uh, double tri- oh my God. That's yeah. Awesome. I mean, when people build these fancy offices, I'm like, you know, you can rent a double wide pretty cheaply. <laughs> <laughs> so it was way cheaper. Farm girl coming coming through. Yeah, it was, it was way cheaper than building fancy offices. So, but it, it was also great because I got to hear, and you know, I'd have like you know Denise, who's been with us, I don't know, seven or eight years, who's amazing. Good job, Denise, if you're listening to this. She's phenomenal <laughs> um, on our customer experience team. That's like talking to people and be like, oh, you know, oh, congratulations, that's a great college. I'm so, I'm sure you're so proud of Johnny or whatever, you know, and like, then she'd be like, oh, how is your dog? And oh, I'm so sorry you had that surgery. You know, like she like knew the people she was talking to and it'd be her first conversation with them. And you can't have that experience when you're outsourcing it to a company that's charging you by ticket or by case, as Mm -hmm. we talked about too. Every time they say like, thank you, that's another ticket, you know, and stuff like that. (laughs) Um, You just can't have that experience. And, you know, when you go and look at our reviews and we're, you know, probably in the top three in the whole country, probably of the most reviewed, if not the most for a long time, we were the most reviewed flower company in the United States. They're not talking about our flowers. You know, people talk about our flowers when they post pretty pictures on social media, but when they're leaving you a review, which is really important to any mm-hmm. company, right? Especially a small business like us, you know, we really rely on, on word of mouth and people do not take the time out of their busy schedules to go write glowing reviews about the product, but they do about service. It's almost a hundred percent service related. And so it, why would I shoot ourselves in the foot, basically, by getting rid of the thing that people care about the most, really? You know, and we've talked right. about that a lot internally on our team that, you know, yes, we're a product company. 50% of what we do is product and 50% is service. We're a service company. We're providing a great service to our customers, which is why I think we have really devout fans, you know, fans, customers that are fans and fans that aren't even customers. We're aspirational, you know, our prices are a little high, but people will follow us even though they don't buy from us very often just because they like us, you know, and they buy from us because they like our company, not just they like our product. And that's, that's because of the service we provide. Yeah. You said it earlier when you when you were just talking about w- why people send flowers. It's because of h- how it makes people feel. 
And when we started the when we started Gladly, we talked a lot about that, you know, Maya Angelou quote about, you know, people forget what you tell them, they forget what you did for them. They never forget how you make them feel. It's my favorite quote, hands down. Is it really? Mm-hmm. That one and then the the man in the arena. Those two I have on my wall. Oh my God, that, that's the other one. I, <laughs> I've used that at, at all our holiday parties at Gladly like all the time. I, I do change it to just not just him. I'd say I say she. I I'm not sending you. I feminized it. We have a woman in the <laughs> arena I, poster. I love it. That's <laughs> yeah. so good. But but like the, but that concept of like the importance of the connection, mm-hmm. like I think that that's like that that is such a. There's so much data that says that when you have high retention and and people fall in love with a brand, it just makes companies more valuable. Yes, and I think the people that understand that are the you know the future of you know commerce, if you will. And so just to hear you talk about that, it, like it just like it rings true in my heart. Like it's just it, it it's like it's like music to my ears. Because I, I do think that people, for the longest time, have always thought about service as a cost center. Yeah. And it's just not. No. I mean, your your team, you, you don't have a storefront. No. Nope. But they they are your storefront. I mean, they are your brand yeah. ambassadors. Like that's why we don't we don't like to refer to people that use gladly as agents. We like to call them heroes because that's. And I don't know if you have a, have a name for your team, but like. I love that. I'm gonna have to start that. I've said it till I'm blue in the face on our team. Our customer experience team has the hardest job at the entire t- company because mm-hmm. people aren't calling them to just, you know, talk about how amazing we are, right? They're calling because their flowers were delayed and they got moldy flowers delivered to them four days late because they were delayed in transit or, you know, how bummed they are because it was, you know, a sympathy arrangement and they tell us, you know, somebody's, you know, spouse mm. just died or, so, you know, like they tell us the whole story and like we literally broke their heart that day. And our heroes, there you go. <laughs> um <laughs> They have to solve that. They have to to have rectify that, and they have to convince that person, you know, first, you know, apologize and let them know that we we feel that too. Like we feel it. You know, I've had to do so many videos just because we literally couldn't get back to enough people in time because fifty six percent of our orders that day were delayed, and there's no way to get to seven thousand people and tickets. You know, and and so we'll do videos, and it's like. I have to stop crying long enough to do those videos because you know that you just blew up everyone's days. Like they they were sending love to someone and for a very important occasion because people don't just send – they do send them just because. But usually there's a big occasion that they're sending right. it for, a 25th anniversary, someone – you know, a death in the family, you know, a j- bad medical diagnosis that was just received, right. things like that. And you are ruining their day. And so yeah. they have to fix that. And they're the only contact that you have with your consumer. Right. So they are me, you know, they're me, mm-hmm. they're Christina, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and they're, they are farm, girl. they're farm they're, girl and they are <laughs> so important to the success of your business. So to just like offhandedly say like, oh, we're going to save a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. Is it worth it? Right. Is it worth it? It's How much are you going to lose for that couple hundred it's thousand? Are you going to lose 10 million in return right. customers? Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that that, I do think that like I said, the companies of the future, they're, they understand that. And you, you, you definitely, you definitely understand it. Now, how do you, when you think about your team, how do you, how do you get them to understand those cultural values? Like how, when you recruit people, when you, when you bring them on board, like what's the process of them understanding what it means to, to, to be, maybe we should call your team farm girls. I don't yeah. know. What, I mean, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know what you call your team, but like, yeah. you know, how do you, how do you, how do you onboard them in like, get them to understand that and represent those cultural values. How do you do that? Well, we have, it's definitely something we're constantly working on, um, Mm -hmm. especially as we're going more and more remote. We have decided we're remote 
forever. <laughs> we decided early on. And that was so that way we could hire better talent outside of the Bay Area. It was very clear early on, you know, from our customer hero team, you know, <laughs> we were able to appeal, you know, it, the Bay Area is a very, very expensive place to live. Right. And so that definitely narrowed our pool down a lot. So going further away was really beneficial that way. But it also one of the, the big cons to that is personal connection, right? As a right. team. And it was really easy when we all came into that same warehouse and that same, you know, double wide there. <laughs> yeah. To be able to celebrate each other daily and right. um, have that that connection. And it's become harder and harder. However, having a stronger team is allowing us to do that really well. Our people and culture team is hands down, I would I would say, I would put money on it that they're the best out there. <laughs> like for such a lean team, I would put them against any team that's 10 times their size because they're so phenomenal. And they're, they have elevated our onboarding experience by tenfold and our just our, our career development, you know, not just like bringing you in and then dropping you, you know, but kind of stewarding you through like these are the professional development opportunities that you have. And here's some, you know, training that we think will help get you to the next level. And um, so our people and culture team, it's just, it's led by an amazing woman. And, you know, I would go work for her in a heartbeat, <laughs> heartbeat. Um, and so that that's really helped a lot. And I think, you know, we worked really hard on a culture deck. I wanted to have a really strong mm -hmm. culture deck just to identify like this is, we call it the essential eight or, you know, the farm girl essential eight looked at, you know, Netflix a lot and then found some other ones online that we even liked better from the hospitality field that were just incredible and kind of then just made our own, our leadership team right. made our own. And it's, things are very different than what you'd find at another company. It's like, you know, it's like gristle is a word that we use a lot. It's like hustle and grit mixed together, you know, and it's, you know. It's, <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, gristle, I didn't know what that was. Yes. <laughs> I like hustle and grit. I like You know, that. and it's quality is queen. And it's like, you know, it's, it's just these great things yeah. that really define who we are. And mm -hmm. I think first thing you get when you come into Farm Girl is you're like, this is who we are. And is this a good fit for you? Um, and I think it really resonates because the type of people that, you know, want to come work at Farm Girl are not the people that are looking for top dollar. They're not coming here for money, you know, because we're never going to be able to compete with the tech giants out there. Even our competitors that are uber funded that have, you know, $100 million of funding behind them. We can't pay what those companies pay. We we get much better people by looking for the right things, the things, you know, right. from those, those essential eight speak to them. Yeah. You know? they, make, they, they're, they feel connected to what you're yes, doing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. I mean, a lot, most of our leadership team all had to take big cuts to come work at Farm Girl. I'm not saying that proudly because I the first thing I want to do is pay people more. As soon as we make more, right. we pay people more. And you know, we we definitely give a lot of raises without ever being asked. And we are very equitable employer. Everybody, you know, there's definitely no gender, <laughs> there's no issues in gender parity at, at Farm Girl. In fact, I always say, like, you know, we have less than 10 men at the whole company. We probably need to get some more men in here. You know? <laughs> so let's get some more men. <laughs> Farm Girl. I'll trade you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I don't say that proudly. I just say I'm what makes me proud is that people want you know, to have the right people working for us that want more right. in life than that. I do think that people, there's this quote from a, it's a rock band called Rush. Mm -hmm. This guy, Neil, Neil Peart, he, he's great. He, he was the drummer, but he wrote all the music and he, and he wrote, a spirit with a vision is a dream on a mission. And I've always remembered that quote. And I do think that people, they feel very connected when they feel very connected to the vision and the mission, it becomes this again. I'm, and I'm related to like what you deliver as a, as, a, as a service. Your you know the job of Farm Girl Flowers is to how you make people feel. Like I do think that the connection people make in companies is just as important. And and you know what I heard from you, I, I actually I think is just great, which is you, you write it down, 
you make sure that people understand this is the culture of the company and you know you you're you're buying into it you know you're joining and you're, this is what the expectation is clearest kinds like Brené Brown says right clearest kinds we're very clear with expectations and who we are as a company yeah there's this book that i've i talked a bunch about called the southwest way it's this book about the culture from southwest airlines they have a very unique culture at southwest and they talk about recruiting for culture right they, so they they say look when you recruit there's really two things you have to do does, does someone have the functional competency like do they know how to fly a plane <laughs> but do they have the cultural competency as well they call it relationship relational competencies like these are the ways that we work together as a team and and you have to be connected to that and i think you have to to your point, you know, clear is kind. Like you have to, you have to explain that this is the expectations because every company is different. And I think that that's really important that how specific and, and focused you are on that. I think that makes a huge difference. You know, the name of the podcast is Radically Personal. And so I ask everybody if there's something radically personal about you that people don't know that you can share. Actually, I was like, for example, Adam from Ulta Beauty, he shared that he just got his college degree. I mean, you know, he's a dad with, you know, teenage boys. And I was like, whoa, like, I, you know, I didn't like, he's just like, yeah, I've just been wanting to do it. I've been doing it at night for years. And like, I was like, wow. So is there something about you that you wouldn't mind sharing? Wow, yeah. Um, I don't have a college degree, so I should probably get on that plan. I heard that. (laughs) That's why I was like, like, (laughs) Um, we can make that one. You're, you know, you're, you're, you kind of, you kind of, you kind of spilled the beans on that earlier. Totally. Yeah. (laughs) So so we get two from you today. Yeah. And I don't, I, I used to feel really, insecure about it. And I don't anymore. And I think the more we talk and normalize like other paths for people, the better too with that. Yeah. I'll share something with you. I've never shared this ever, ever. I think, you know, I get asked a lot, like, you know, how, like where my empathy comes from. Like, you know, I think people around me know me to be a very empathetic leader. You know, I try really hard to, to, and it also just kind of comes naturally to me. Sometimes to my chagrin a little bit. Sometimes I think that, you know, kind of like that quote, I don't know if it really was Eleanor Roosevelt, but she gets attributed to a lot like the quote, this is don't mistake my kindness for weakness. And I think because I am such an empathetic leader that sometimes people think that's weak and I'm not, I'm definitely not. And, you know, I'm someone who likes to lead with vulnerability and I've learned a lot from Brene Brown mentioning her again, but I get that from, I, I think from, you know, Growing up, I was born with an abnormality that I only have one kidney and it didn't work well. Um, and so I had lots of pain growing up and also just embarrassment because I that led to me not having any bladder control for the first 12 years of my life, which is really embarrassing as a 12-year-old, right? You can imagine yeah. or and leading up to it. Um, and so I think, you know, I tend to be someone because of that, because you know, I was that kid that everybody made fun of because when you go to the same school from first grade through 12th grade, literally the same school with the, with same, the same people. Yeah, I think it was like school. maybe 80 people in our graduating class. You know, there's not a lot of room for difference, you know, yeah. being different. And uh, so I was that kid that everybody made fun of and and I could not wait to leave. I just couldn't wait to leave that little two stoplight town. Now I have a lot of you know, gratitude for how I was raised. But I also have gratitude, which I never really thought I'd have because I, I mean, it was the thing that I hated the most about myself. And the thing that caused me the most stress and anxiety growing up was, you know, just being that kid that everybody made fun of because you peed your pants every day, you know? Um, But I have a lot of gratitude for that too, because I think it made me way stronger. It made me such a strong person. So, you know, my head of people and culture that I mentioned earlier 
today, I just said, you know, during her one-on-one -on -one today, you know, gave me a great compliment. She's just like, you know, you're the most resilient person I know. Like you just yeah. have so much resilience, you know, when she comes and says, we have another lawsuit or we have another issue here or whatever. <laughs> you're uh, like, bring it. I'm like, okay, let's do this. What do we got to do with this one? You know, that. thank you for handling it. Thank you for yeah. let's do a little spot bonus for your team. It, you know, yeah. so. <laughs> um, so. it, it, it is amazing how um, uh, hardship uh, really, it just builds character, yeah. you know, I mean, and, and, you know, going through, you know, challenges in life that you get through, like, it just really makes you appreciate things. I, um, this is not, I've actually done this now three times, but the, but the first time I broke my back in a cycling accident, I was in the hospital for a couple of days and it was really bad, you know, and like, it, it, that, like, that taught me about slowing down, actually, you know, I mean, not physically on the bike, because I still now get back on the bike, and I've since broke my back two more times, not as badly wow. as the first couple of times, but, but I, I was in the ICU for a couple of days, and we were literally about to start a company, but, like, it just taught me about, like, okay, it's, like, resilience, and also just about the importance of enjoying the moment because it can go away, you know? So I just think stories like that about, you know, personal challenges, like they make us who we are. Absolutely. Uh, and that's an incredible Absolutely. story. I just read an article about it actually where they, I think it was in Forbes this weekend that was talking about 70, something like 75% of the highest achievers. I mean, these are like the Oprah's. I'm not putting myself in this mm -hmm. category, but the highest achievers um, have come from very hard backgrounds. And that can mean play out in many different ways. You know, I, I had a lot of benefits to how I grew up with a loving mm -hmm. family, two parents, right. you know, um, always had a roof over my head and food. And I also had, you know, this medical issue that yeah. caused me to have to really develop thick skin and resilience and things that benefit yeah. me daily in running a business yeah. and empathy, which, which helped me in leading a team. Well, I think, well, I think, I think that comes through with the story. I mean, like just you starting in your, in your, <laughs> in your apartment on the dining table yeah. to build what you've built so far. And I know you're only just getting started. Uh, I, I just can't thank you enough for being such a great partner. We're so proud to partner with you and, and just like the success of the business, like congrats on that. And, and from everyone at Gladly, like, you know, thanks for the partnership and thanks for taking the time to share your story today. Of course. Thank you for, I just want to take a second too and thank you for all you do. Our team loves <laughs> what you do and thank you for allowing you. us to be a better company. Um, no, really just thank you and your entire team, um, the entire Gladly team for providing a product that allows us to do what we do better. Um, yeah. So we really appreciate you're, it. You're very, you're very kind. I think that the, the thing that's awesome is when we meet people who who believe what we believe, that's when the magic happens. Yeah. You know, when you believe that what your your job is about creating connection with your customers, like oh my gosh, we 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 love that, and you you and the whole team, obviously, you know that's that's so foundational. We can feel it, and and uh, good luck with the continued journey, and and thanks again for taking the time today, Christina. Awesome, thank you. Thanks for having me, Christina. Thank you again for your partnership with Gladly. I can speak for the whole team when I say we are so proud to be your partner, and we look forward to helping you continue to provide radically personal customer service. I'm Joseph Ansnelli, CEO of Gladly. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or visit us at radicallypersonal.com. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. This is Radically Personal.